open up to Matthew chapter 5. And I do apologize. I know last week I asked you to pull out your Bibles and to read through it. And we didn't think through the whole, like, we should probably pull up the lights a little bit so that people could read a little bit easier. Um, so I guess what that did tell me was how many of you normally are using your phones so that you can see them versus using this. So the phones are okay. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't use your phones. Um, but we pulled up the lights, although for some reason they didn't turn on over here. So I guess if you're in this section, you're out of luck. All of you over here should be able to see a little bit better this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, starts out this way. One day, as he saw the crowds, and the he here is Jesus, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And that's where we come up with the name, the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on a mountainside, he saw a bunch of people, and he sat down, and he began to teach. But before we really dig into the words that we have in red, at least in my Bible in red, which means the words that Jesus said, I want us to go back more than a thousand years to a time where somebody else was up on a mountainside and God was teaching them. We've probably, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the story, you've, uh, you've probably memorized at least part of what was taught on there, but there's a moment way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where a guy named Moses goes up on a mountain and God begins to tell him how they're supposed to live. God begins to give these instructions on this is how you live in relationship with me. And as he's up on this mountain, he comes up with this list, or God gives him this list that he puts on these stone tablets that we commonly refer to as the what? Anybody? The Ten Commandments. All right, hey, that was a better response than normal. Now, don't be afraid to yell things out even louder, because I'm going to need to hear you clearly. I want to see how many of us know what those Ten Commandments are without turning to Exodus chapter 20 yet. I'll let you do that in a second. So I want you to start yelling them out to me. What are the ten? Love God. Okay. Love neighbor. What was that one? Worship no idols. All right. No murder. No adultery. Nate, you want to tell us what that is? You can tell us later. It's really not funny, but I just wanted to see what he would say. What is it? No covet? I'm going to have a bigger board in the future, but this is the biggest we had right now. Honor. We're just going to put M and F, mother and father. Honor the Sabbath. Okay, that's that one there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We're missing one. No stealing. Okay, is that all of them? Open up to Exodus chapter 20 and see if we got them all right. Double check yourselves. Don't use the name of your Lord in vain. So love your neighbor... 
is actually not one of the ten. It is one of the top two that Jesus talks about later, but it's not one of the ten that originally comes up here. No name in vain. Does that look right? Look it up. Exodus chapter 20. This is your test. So there's been, there's been a lot of debate over the years as to where we should display this list. You know, for those of you who are in, I guess, maybe the upper, the upper era of my generation and older, uh, you've probably paid more attention to this. You've seen more of the arguments. Should this be listed in schools? Should this be listed at courthouses? Should this be, you know, in different places, in different public places? Should we have the Ten Commandments listed? And the debate has been pretty strong. I mean, it's been the, you know, if we take this away, then we're taking God away from things. We're, we're not telling people how to live by faith. And then there's people on the other side saying, well, we don't believe in God in the first place, so why would we have this be a public space? If you want this, put it up in your churches. Which, ironically, a lot of church people fight to have it in a public space, but you know what you don't see listed in churches? This list. We want everybody else to see it, but do we actually look at it? I don't know, that one just kind of ran through my mind as it was coming out of my mouth. That it's, it's really kind of ironic how much we fight for that. I would argue, and this has been brought up by a couple other people that I've, I've heard speak over the years. I would argue that, that perhaps this list isn't the list that we need out there for people in the first place. I mean, I think we like a list like this because we like to have checklists that we can live by. We like to have, here's the, the set of rules that if I do this, then I can call myself a good person. If I do this, then I can say, okay, I'm going to go to heaven, everything's going to be good. And really, for the most part, a lot of this is very tangible, physical type stuff that I can withhold myself from. Now... As long as we ignore those first four where we're talking about God and how our relationship with him looks because we don't want to get into that type of a thing. But if we look at the rest of it, okay, I mean, it, it's pretty easy for me to walk around and say, hey, I haven't killed anybody today or recently or ever. I haven't committed adultery in my life, and a lot of us can say that. I, I, well, okay, covet, let's just ignore that one for a little bit. I don't steal, well, I've never stolen big things does it count if i'm piggybacking off of my in-laws netflix account does that count as well i mean where's the where's the line i mean for the big you know i'm, I'm not stealing gum i'm not stealing cars or anything so I, I should probably be good on that one um i honor the sabbath i go to church for an hour on sunday morning that's honoring the sabbath i mean the rest of the day i don't think about god at all i think about football and Vincent soccer league sports and maybe fishing or farming or whatever it may be. I don't know what it is, but, but you know, I, I give him an hour. So that's the Sabbath, you know, used to be 24 hours. We can get it all in one. It's fine. Uh, honor my father and mother. I mean, I've, I've never cursed them out in my life. I don't know. Maybe some of you have. Um, I did at one point tell my dad that I wish that somebody else was my dad. So I mean, maybe I, I haven't succeeded on that one as much as I wanted to. I mean, lying, that's not a, I don't lie often or real big. I mean, what do we consider lying? I, 
if I allow my wife to believe something so that I can pull off a bigger surprise that will make her happier later, does that count as lying or does that count as pulling off a surprise trip to Hawaii? I mean, where's the, where's the line on what this whole lying thing, do you see how all of a sudden it starts to become an issue when we begin to say that we're just, all you got to do is live by this list. You know, we've heard a lot of conversation over the past year, year and a half about law and order and how we have to bring that back. And, and if these people would just follow the law, then they wouldn't have issues with the police in the first place. We are a society, and in particular, our part of society is very much a law-abiding people get ahead in life. We need to follow the rules. If you follow the rules, things will work out well. Until they don't, or until you mess up on one rule, one little law. Because here's what Jesus had to say when he was looking back at, now, here's the other part of this. We like to think of the Ten Commandments as what happened on Mount Sinai that day when God talked to, to Moses. But have you really read through the list of things that he told Moses while he was on that mountain? Because it's a lot more than ten things. Have we really read through the law in the Old Testament as to what we are supposed to live by? Or were we at one point in kids' ministry, and this isn't knocking kids' ministry, don't, please don't take it that way, were we at one point in kids' ministry taught that there were ten commandments that we had to live by, and that's where we stopped? That's where we thought, hey, that's, that's all God said, we can go by that. Never mind the fact that we fail at a lot of these all the time. All the time. I mean, a lie is a lie. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, and we're not actually going to start at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start in chapter 17. We'll eventually go back. We're going to jump around in here a little bit. So I'll try and let you know where we're at. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, which this is part of, or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law, which these were men who were, they spent all of their time learning these little teeny tiny little intricate laws. Notice Jesus didn't say that if you will follow the 10, but if he said you will follow the whole law, if your righteousness will be above even these guys who are spending all of their time trying to catch others, if you can be better than them, unless you are better than them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, Jesus really liked to share a hopeful message with people, didn't he? Essentially what he's saying is, hey, that law that was given, that law that's got hundreds of things that you, that you have to do, that law that's got all those sacrifices and all those festivals and all those rules, hey, unless you can follow that perfectly, 
you're out of luck, enjoy hell. Unless you can do it better than these guys do, the ones that are supposed to be perfect, unless you can do it better than them, you're out of luck. Now some have made the argument that Jesus came along to get rid of the law, to say that the law is no more, we don't have to worry about it anymore. And then some are on the other side saying, no, 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 he came to fulfill the law. That doesn't get rid of the law. He fulfilled it, which means the law is still there. Here's the thing, though. He didn't just say that none of that stuff matters, but he also didn't say that you have to follow it anymore. Because if we did, none of us are dressed appropriately in this room. Women, how many of you have earrings on right now? Sinners. Man, I'm, I'm, we didn't have as many laws that we had to follow. We really had it pretty easy, and we still screwed up all the time. But I was trying to think of one that dealt with clothes for guys, and I, I can't come up with one. So many that we just decided, well, those ones don't matter. The ten do, but all those others, they don't matter. And well, and maybe this one over here in First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 22, maybe it matters, and I have no idea. That might actually be about a king. I don't know if that's a law or not. Like we, we like to, well, this one matters and this one matters and Jesus said we could get rid of that one and we can't have it both ways. So how is this? Did Jesus come to get rid of the law or did Jesus come and say we still have to follow the law? Maybe it's not that we need to have it both ways. Maybe it's that we need to have it neither way. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Remember how he told us that you on your own will never live up to the law. As we read through the words that Jesus teaches and the words that Jesus says and the life that he gave, we begin to realize that we were never going to be able to do it. And I don't think it's because God put it out there so that he could trap us, so that he could give us this, you know, hey, really don't want these people to spend eternity with me in the first place, so I'm going to make these laws that they're going to fail at, and then they're going to have to do all this stuff, and they're still going to fail, and then I don't have to spend my, the rest of eternity with them. It wasn't so he could trap us. The law was intended to point us to the fact that we cannot do this on our own. We cannot live the life that we were meant to live under our own power. There is no pull yourself up by your bootstraps, live a good life, and everything will be good. But in order to live the life that he's intended for us, in order to live a life of walking with him, like Adam and Eve did in the garden in the first place, in order to live that kind of life with him, we have to get to the end of this is all about me, and this is all about my progress, and this is all about my attempts at being good. And understand that this is all about what Jesus did. This is all about somebody who came along and who, who was able to follow the law in the way that it was intended to be followed. You see, while we like checklists, Jesus isn't about those. And we see that throughout the course of his life. We see honor the Sabbath. And we would tend to go more in line with what the Pharisees did. Well, honoring the Sabbath, now, this isn't how we live it. This is how we would explain it. Honor the Sabbath means that you take Sunday and you give it to God. The whole day, it's all his. 
That was the Pharisees' mentality. I mean, it wasn't Sunday, but the, the Sabbath day. Their mentality was you give that whole day to him, which means you don't do any work of any kind. You don't pick grain. You don't cook your food. You don't pull a donkey out of the mud. You do not work on the Sabbath. And Jesus came along, and all of a sudden, his, they're walking, which is against the rules, and they're picking some heads of grain because they're hungry, and they're eating them as they're walking on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are sitting there saying, why in the world are you allowing your followers to do this stuff? That is against the rules. You are not honoring the Sabbath. And Jesus essentially tells them, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You don't tell me what's right and what's wrong. I know what the intent of this was. You are so focused on your checklist that you have forgotten to check your heart. You are so focused on the letter of the law that you have forgotten to look at the purpose of the law in the first place. And the purpose of the law was to point you towards the Father and to show you that you cannot do this life without him. That was the purpose of the law. You've made it all about catching other people and telling them how big of failures they are. In fact, as we continue to look through Matthew chapter 5 and into Matthew chapter 6, we begin to run across these statements of the, you have heard it said. One of those, the very first one, starts off with one of these Ten Commandments that goes way back to the Law of Moses, which this would have really upset them because the Law of Moses was the law that you followed. You did not mess with it. Messing with the Law of Moses was to, like, to a Republican messing with the Constitution. Like, you do not mess with this stuff. And Jesus comes out and says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say this, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the courts. And if you curse someone, you are in the dangers of the fires of hell. See, we, liking checklists, made this all about, as long as I don't slit somebody's throat, I've watched too many slasher movies, sorry. As long as you don't get like over the top, kill somebody, we're good, it's all fine. And Jesus says, nope, it's about what's in here. It's about how you're treating people. It's about you tearing somebody's reputation down, calling them an idiot, tearing down the, the creature that I created them to be. When you look at them and you call them an idiot and you curse them, guess what? You are looking at an image bearer of God and calling the image of God an idiot and cursing it. Think about that. Anytime. We tear somebody down. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. Anytime we tear somebody down, we are tearing down the image of God. Verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit 
adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman or a man with lust has already committed adultery with her. Anybody want to admit that they've ever been lustful? I'll admit it. Not proudly, but I'll admit it. All of a sudden, it's not quite a, this nice, easy little checklist of, well, I've never slept with somebody other than my wife, so I'm good, right? It says you missed the intent of the law that your heart was not focused on where it was supposed to be focused. You went to the letter of the law. And we can look at more as he begins to walk through these. You have heard the law that says a man cannot, or a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. In verse 33, you have heard it that. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Here's the ironic thing with this one. When we get into our courtrooms and we swear somebody in, what do we swear them in by? What do they put their hand on? But yet he's saying, do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne, and do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool, and do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And we walk into our courtrooms and we put our hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth. I make a vow to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth by putting this on something that tells me not to do this. We learn lists, but do we learn the intent? Do we learn the little list that's easy to learn in a song. I learned the Ten Commandments by singing a song when I was a little kid. It had a nice little ditty to it. Number one, we've just begun. God should be first. Like you kind of dance to it as you're going up here. Kind of get your shoulders moving. And that's how I learned. And it was good. I mean, it's important to learn what's in Scripture regardless of where it is in Scripture. But if we stop at that point, Jesus is telling us you're going to fail. It turns out you're going to fail. You're going to fail. I could keep adding to the list. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You cannot do it. Who's encouraged so far this morning? Anybody? As we dig into the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus spends a lot of time turning things on their head. You know, people like to use the term upside down. He, he, he turns things upside down for us over and over and over again. But I want you to just stop and just for a little bit, just imagine what it would have been like to live at that moment when he was teaching all of these things. For the very first time, 
Not, I've had years to read through the words of Jesus and I know that he did some crazy things and he taught some crazy things and I've just kind of given up on trying to understand what he meant and I'm just gonna try and be a good person. Not, not looking at it through that lens, but looking at it through the lens of this guy is standing up before me and he constantly pushes against everything that I believed. I have believed that if you work hard, you will have a good life. I have believed that if I follow the rules, I will be good with God. I have believed that life is about making myself comfortable, and he keeps telling me that in order to, to live the right kind of life, I actually am going to be really, really uncomfortable all the time. He seemingly breaks all of these rules. And he lets his followers do it too. And he doesn't correct them. And he doesn't, he doesn't change. I mean, we're living in these moments. It's just not about God's law that we're struggling with it. We're struggling with it from an American law standpoint. Where people are pushing against American laws. And other people are saying, no, we can't do this. And they're saying, yes, we can. And it's back and forth. That's the tension that would have been very real for these people. We have the advantage of 2,000 years of being able to study and talk about and argue about what it is that Jesus meant. They didn't have that. As we read through the Sermon on the Mount for the next however long this ends up being, I really don't know. For however long this ends up being, as we read through it, I think you're going to begin to see in a, if you've read through it many times, maybe you've started to see this. If you haven't, you're going to start to see in a new way just how upside down it is to follow Jesus. I think that some of us are going to find ourselves in a very uncomfortable spot. And I might be one of those. I think I will be one of those in some ways. Your way might be different than my way. I asked you last week as you were reading through it at the end of service to start writing down those things like, what are some things that Jesus taught that are just really difficult for me to stomach? Either it's a, I don't understand this one, or I just, ooh, ooh, I don't like that one at all. That goes totally against my American Christianity. I don't like that one. I've heard pastors tell me something different. I've heard pastors tell me not to worry about those words of Jesus. Or book writers, authors, I suppose we would call them more often. I think we're going to find ourselves wrestling with some difficult things, but I think if we're willing to wrestle, and if we're willing to go at this honestly, and if we're willing to come at this and say, Jesus, I have a spot where I put you, where I think I understand some things about you, but I know that I don't fully understand. I know I don't fully get this stuff. But I want you to open this up more and more. I want to understand this. I think what you'll begin to walk away with, and what I'll walk away with, is a life that actually 
I mean, it's not really about our feelings, but a life that actually feels better. Not easier, but feels better. As we begin next week jumping into those those phrases at the beginning of the blessed are the, and every time you read one, you're like, no, that's not what I, that, that's not what we teach. Blessed, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And what we'll see is that Jesus is constantly reminding us, you can't do this on your own. And he's constantly reminding us throughout the course of his life Throughout the course of his words and the course of his actions, you don't have to. I didn't just come to tell you, hey, you're out of luck. But I came to say, hey, I've got the answer for you. In fact, I'm going to take care of it for you. I'm going to tell you how you can live the life that you were intended to live so that you can have the fullest life and then I'm going to make the sacrifice that it takes so that you can have that. Now don't you go around heaping rules and checklists on other people when I'm telling you I'm not going to heap rules and checklists on you. Live your life full because I paid the cost so that you could. You will never live up to this. Not even if you start today with a note from this day forward, I'm going to live the Ten Commandments out perfectly. There's a guy named A.J. Jacobs who wrote a book several years ago, My Year of Living Biblically, where he tried to live through all of the Old Testament laws to the best that he could legally in the United States in the year that he wrote the book. Now, there were some things that would actually have been illegal for him to do, like stoning somebody. So he didn't do that, although he did walk in and throw a rock at somebody one time. That was his stoning of the person. But to the extent that, this might get uncomfortable, not going to lie, that when his wife was in her moments of the month, he would not sit anywhere that she sat because that was one of the many laws that you couldn't do. So his wife sat in every chair in the house and laid in the bed because she didn't like him doing this thing. But you know what he found? You can't do it. You can't do it. You have to have the Father. We have to have the Son. We have to live with the Spirit. And he gave that gift to each and every one of us. No matter how many of these you've broken, no matter how, you know, those two and all the others that I could have written, no matter how many of those you haven't followed, he said, I've given it to you. Take it. Run to me. I'm here. We're going to sing one more song this morning. The band's going to come back up. And this is actually, so Courtney didn't know, honestly, I didn't know exactly where this was going when Courtney planned the songs. Um... So she definitely didn't know where this was going when she planned the songs. But as this has progressed over the course of, of walking through this myself, I realized, man, I'm not, I'm not sure there would have been a better song than this. Because what I urge you this morning is don't leave here and just walk away and be like, well, 
I'm going to go back to trying to live by my checklist of being a good person and showing up on Sunday morning, and I'm going to try not to cuss too much. Um, I'm going to try not to lie unless I really need to. I'm going to try to only steal when it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm going to try and be somebody that when I die, people say he was a good person or she was a good person. That way I can make my way into heaven. Don't go try to live that life because you're not going to make it. By the world's definition of good, maybe you can get that title of good person. But when you compare yourself to the goodness of God, you are going to fall so incredibly short. That's because he wanted you to be with him. And he wanted you to rely on him. You need to rely on him. I don't often make a, a call to the altars or anything like that. But I do want to tell you this morning that there is something about a physical act, I believe, and others believe too, that helps cement a decision. And sometimes that physical act is walking up in front of other people, not so that they can see you, but just because they're there. And it's walking to the Father. So I would invite you this morning that, that if you're at that point where you're like, you know what, I know that I need to stop trying to just do a checklist. And instead, I need to just give this to him. And I need to just recognize and admit again, for some of you it's going to be for the 50th time, that I am not and will not ever be good enough. And that's the way it was intended to be because I was built to rely on him. And I want to say this morning that I want to rely on him. And then this week I invite you, continue every day read through Matthews chapter 5 through 7. Maybe by the time we're done with this, you'll be able to quote it back at me. How cool would that be to be able to say, you know what I memorize? I memorize the words of Jesus. He's the one I say I follow. So I want to know what he says. Run to him.